0: Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever, Amen. Welcome to the podcast. In and through exist to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name's Tim, and my name's Marshall, and we are preoccupied with our volume levels. We, we are.
1: <laughs> We're having some issues. With uh, trying to trying to match, I think we're I think we're close. I think we're though. good. I think we're good.
0: We're good enough to work
1: with. These are things that we worry about, and nobody listening, hopefully, cares about. Hopefully, hopefully, the, well, hopefully we're loud enough they can hear us. Yeah, and hopefully we're not so loud that we're blowing any eardrums. I don't think that's I think, I don't think that would happen. Producer
0: Alex, save us, please. Mm. Should we talk about the coffee before we talk about Luther?
1: Let's talk about the coffee. What do you
0: want to say about the coffee? I'm a little disappointed in us. This co- How many days old is this coffee now? Uh, at least two. 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 Okay, so this coffee was made on Sunday. Sunday, yeah. And they made way more than they needed. Yep. Poured a bunch into pitchers and put it in the fridge. Yep. And we've been microwaving it. We have.
1: <laughs> For the last, like, two days. <laughs> you know what it tastes like? What does it taste like? It
0: tastes like coffee that's been in the fridge for two days and then microwaved.
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe some that's people, not an epiphany. Maybe some people age it.
0: I hear like if you do like the, the it's not a steak
1: the cold brew thing that like yeah. they age it sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. You know what?
0: If we hadn't microwaved it, it would have been cold brew. Well, I, mean, I guess that's it would have been brewed cold. It we could have like cold.
1: put it like get some like flavored cream because we both drink it black, but I feel like poured over some
0: ice with some like flavored cream. What's the substantial difference between cold brewed and just cold coffee? I have no idea. I should know. I mean, I'm sure there's someone out there I'm who's I'm a bit of a like, coffee snob. My wife probably knows, but I don't. You're not a coffee snob. If you were a no. coffee snob, you would not be drinking this and you would not drink instant. Okay.
1: But we have like... At my house, we have like an espresso machine I did pour over this morning. I did French press the other day.
0: So there's that. So you, you appreciate various ways of making coffee and you like the good ways but you also a snob would not drink this
1: that's true i guess that's true yeah maybe i just enjoy coffee maybe let maybe maybe I'm just a coffee lover rather than a coffee snob i would say so yeah i'm like that with a lot of things though i don't have very high standards like i like a lot of things but i don't have high standards for things yeah i'm just like whatever like give put any greasy burger in front of me and i'm, I'm happy i'm good Anyways, we're off topic. We're off to a great start. That's what we're <laughs> off to. <laughs> I have some fun things actually. All right, let's hear your fun e- things. Even though technically we're still kind of in the same period mm-hmm. uh, of time, I thought this was kind of fun and I kind of I departed from my war theme. <laughs> so I've got some more, you know, daily life types of things. The invention of the toothbrush in 1498. Luther was just a young man. Not that's even he was just a kid at that that's point. That's
0: a really great one.
1: The invention of the toothbrush. I really
0: like that one. <laughs>
1: okay, I got another one. Uh, the first watch, like just the like the like you can bring time with you, right? Fifteen oh five. Cool. Um, there's a new craze going on in the imperial court in Vienna, so that's where when we talk about Charles V and the Holy Roman Empire, that's they they're based in Vienna. The the new craze at the banquets, forks. Awesome. Now, forks existed before, but they had fallen out of fashion. It was one of those things that, like the Romans used forks and the ancient Chinese had forks, but also at the Middle Ages, people didn't really use forks, and now forks are back. This is part of the Dark Ages. I know. <laughs> we're, this is how you know we're out of the Dark Ages, because now there's forks. Because forks. <laughs> and the last thing I have is uh, 1542, which will be a few years before the end of Luther's life. Spoiler alert, he doesn't Live forever. Uh, the Portuguese merchants become the first Westerners to visit Japan.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So that's what I got. Yeah. Let's talk about a philosophy of history. Mm. That little bit that you and I have been talking about for the last couple of days. Yeah. 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 There, are, there are two ways to progress through history. In a, in a, especially in a time where it's really dense.
1: Which we're in now.
0: And we're in a really dense time right now. And so here's, here's what we'd have. Here's the options we have. We just stick to a timeline, and we hit everything as it comes across the timeline. Or we stick to particular persons and events as they move through the timeline and then jump backward, grab another person who coexists, Mm -hmm. And go with that person Right It sounds like that is the more convoluted way But really it's not No Because the first way, although it seems simpler, never really gains momentum Yeah Right, You, you jump straight through these guys so quickly And then you're always coming back and visiting And the names just get jumbled in your head
1: Yeah, yeah
0: so what we're going to do is we're going to grab a guy, carry it on to the end, back up, mm-hmm. and start over again.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because I would say in this time period, like the, the early 1500s, early to mid 1500s, there are like four or five significant storylines that are happening at the same time mm-hmm. that interact with one another at times. Um, but to try and tell all five stories all at once would be a bit of a mess, right? So instead we're going to try to tell them one at a time and still make comment about when they, when they intersect, I think is kind of what we're going to try to do. Yep. There's no perfect way, but there's just to give the listeners an idea of, of how we're going to handle this. So if we get to the end of Luther's life and you're like, Hey, wait, what, weren't there things going on in England? By this point, he's like, "Yes, mm-hmm. there were, and we're going to get to it.
0: We're going to talk about Zwingli. We're going to talk about yeah. Conrad Grable. We're going to talk about Mennonites. The Mennonites, yeah. yeah we're going to talk about all all sorts so. of people.
1: So, we have to finish off Luther's story. Luther was, I mean, such a important character, and the the timing of his the kind of the the ninety five theses and the whole firestorm that that kicked off was so significant that we didn't even get through his whole story uh, last week. So." we have to kind of finish that and also talk about people and things happening around him and i think one of the last things we we chatted about last week was the peasants revolt which these people were kind of like luther was their champion even though he didn't want to be their champion he's mm-hmm. like no 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 you you should be you should not be killing people and stealing their things and they're like but but reformation right and he's like, no 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 just stop doing that um it didn't end well for the peasants they figure there's probably 100,000 or more dead as a result of uh, of this uprising. Uh, turns out, peasants don't stand up very well against knights of the Holy Roman Empire. So, at this point, Luther is back at Wittenberg. He's no longer kind of tucked away in the, the castle. And he decides he's going to make a wardrobe change. He's not going to dress like a monk anymore. It's time for him to shed those old clothes. I wonder for him... If that was just like that was a moment for him, where he's like, "Okay, there's no going back from this at this point." I mean, I've been excommunicated. Mm-hmm. There's a bounty on my head. They're not taking me back.
0: I'm gonna wear what makes me feel good. Yeah, and maybe possibly it it might also just be that. Well, I don't know. But we'll we'll talk later. There is so much symbolism. The Catholic Church, yes. So everything means something, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So I had a seminary professor who, in in talking about symbolism within Scripture, said, "You know, sometimes a tent stake is a tent stake, and it's meant to hold the tent down. Right. Right. It it doesn't have some Christological foreshadowing. Right. That's <laughs> not true in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. In the Catholic Church, everything means something. Right. right. It's given some kind of meaning." Um, Luther kinda likes that. And he keeps up with a lot of it. He does. So he does. So the my what I was gonna say is maybe just as he's becoming disenfranchised and jaded by the Catholic Church, maybe he's just moving on, but that wouldn't be the case. I think he wouldn't mm-hmm. hmm. Yeah. I don't know. In any
1: in any case, that change of attire may have caught the eye of a, a young lady. He He, a former monk, she, a former nun, um, who had escaped from a convent, Katharina von Bora. Um, Luther gets married. And actually, as the story goes, she proposed to him. (laughs) Why not? He he was not that interested, and she was. And he was like, okay. You see what you like? You go for it. I guess so. So um, this didn't surprise everyone. In Luther's life because he had already been talking about how the vows of celibacy that were forced on monks and priests was extra biblical. You know, Mm -hmm. this is an additional layer, another hurdle that is not required that you're just putting in front of people. So he'd already been speaking against it, but um, but turns out he gets married and they have six children, Um, although I think one died in infancy and the other um, as a child. But Martin Luther's a bit of a family man, nice, like, yeah, he has this like he has this stage of life, like he writes a catechism that's designed for family worship, like to teach for parents to teach kids, like mm-hmm. one of his catechisms, like and their home, I was reading up that their home would sometimes include as many as like twenty students. they took in and raised several orphaned children. They were kind of in an old like. Uh, monastery building was kind of converted to their house. So they had some space, but yeah, they, they raised several orphan children Um, in 19 or sorry, in 1527, when Wittenberg was hit with the bubonic plague, they opened up their home as a makeshift hospital. So this guy, like family man taking on kids that aren't his, you know, opening up his home to the needy. So that's a side of Luther that I think we don't typically get
0: a lot. Yeah, was, I think with a lot of these guys, when once a person becomes a noted theologian, we believe that all they do is sit up in stately rooms right. and read books and write about things that are so lofty that they don't really even matter anymore. Right. <laughs> um Which is which is not true. Mm-hmm. The theology does matter. There's not a I mean you you can get to the whole classic how many angels can dance on the head of a pin kind of a conversation <laughs> um, but many of these guys are genuine servers mm-hmm. of mankind yeah. as a part of their Christian worship
1: yeah yeah like during that that plague like they were ordered to to leave the city but he stuck around to actually to um, to care for them
0: so Martin pastored in a pandemic
1: yeah he did yeah, <laughs> yeah, the bubonic plague too. So it's so, a crank crank this one up a few notches. Um, yeah. So while this is going on too, like Luther is kind of operating. There's a measure of freedom. I didn't I didn't include this in our in our planning notes, but I thought I'd mention it. They had condemned Luther, but it just didn't work. Like people weren't turning him over. People weren't trying to kill him. And a lot of people kind of liked him. A lot of nobles actually kind of liked him. Yeah. So they have this other... They had the Diet of Worms, and now they have the Diet of Spare. Um, and essentially, they find out that a lot of places are, are actually in favor of what Martin Luther is saying. And they realize they can't enforce this. So they, they kind of lay this temporary truce. So there's, there's kind of this... I don't know what I even call it. This live and let live scenario that Luther is kind of operating under. So if they, you're wondering, they, they
0: give up on it. Yeah. They basically just <laughs> realize they can't enforce their own policy yeah. and they give up on it. Right. Cause I, I think people listening to like you share about this bit about his home and all that kind of stuff. You're like, Whoa, wait, wait, wait wait, Hold on. Wasn't he holed up in a castle for the rest of his life? Because right. Whoever wanted to could kill him without any cause or, or any sort of consequence, consequence or, against yeah. them for it. And, and yeah, that lasted a couple of weeks. <laughs> and then eventually people were like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah.
1: I guess uh, they, they they thought people were going to be a little bit more fired up. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe Luther had people watching his back. I don't know. It's yeah. uh, hard to say. Maybe it was a bit of both. Um, And this kind of, this whole situation, this like, this uneasy piece between you know, Luther and the reformers and the Roman Catholic church, it flip-flops like throughout his entire life. It's like they have a meeting and they're cool and then they have a meeting and they're not cool. And like I was reading through it and I'm like, I'm just going to not go through all of them because there's just, it's boring. It's eventually, eventually it's just like, okay, they just can't make up their minds. And depending on other political situations. So Luther doesn't exist. Like the reformation is one thing that's happening in the world this time. Mm-hmm. Another big thing that's happening is the massive juggernaut that is the Ottoman Empire is swallowing up Eastern Europe one bite at a time. Right. And they're freaking out.
0: Yeah, they're not waiting in line to be like, oh, sorry, you've got a Reformation thing going. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to we're gonna wait over here. Let you figure that out. <laughs> you work that out, and then we'll move on with the next historical moment of consequence.
1: Yeah. 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 So, so... Th- sometimes some of these like these rulers and and you know whether it's the pope or the kings and the holy roman emperor or whatever they're like okay we don't like what you got going on over there luther but we have to go make sure the turks don't invade so Mm -hmm. we'll deal with you later just play nice for now and he's like sure fine yeah okay and then just the roots of protestantism and the reformation just kind of continue to to grow i guess during those those seasons so
0: yeah it's I mean you can see providence in that. Oh yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you take a church that is a political economic juggernaut who just wields its way and reform it? You bring along a short history of reformation mm-hmm. followed by a figure who is able to carry that into a mainstream and then you throw smoke around that juggernaut mm. to distract them. And all of a sudden you got just the window you need for the seeds to germinate and take root.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's I think there's there's providence in that for sure. So one of the one of the interesting things that does happen though in in these these meetings that kind of go back and forth in a time where where the Catholic Church is like, "Hey, we're going to we're going to cr- cramp down on this this thing
0: Yeah, and, and to be clear, sorry to interrupt. No, no, th- it's okay. to be clear, this isn't the sort of he loves me, he loves me not. No, no, no. kind of this is like I'm gonna kill him. I'm nah, not today. Not to- Yeah, that's what <laughs> I'm gonna kill him. Oh yeah, yeah. No, not today. Yeah, they're not. They're not. <laughs> they're, they're never liking Luther. They're just like
1: how badly do they want him dead? Right, is essentially what it is. And so, um at one of these times though, they kind of flip flop on on their decision of saying they've, they've kind of allowed them to to for each kind of individual state. So keep this in mind the Holy Roman Empire at this time is not ancient Rome it looks a lot like Germany does today plus some extra little bits onto it but it's not really one unified territory it's like dozens and dozens of all these little fiefdoms and you know like duchies and and independent cities that all kind of make up one thing right so so at some point they kind of say, okay, every, every, each little place can just kind of do what they want to do, but then they go back on that. And that's protested by Martin Luther and some of his allies. They, 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 they sign this kind of legal appeal as a protest to this change in policy, and that is where the term Protestant comes from. Yeah. them protesting this, this reversal of freedom of religion. Which was which was announced. So, um, but why don't we talk about some of those those allies of Luther?
0: Why don't we talk about some of his his friends? All right, Phil. Who's oh Phil? You want to start with Phil? We can start with Phil. All right. Uh, what do you got on Phil?
1: Well, okay. So Phil Phil was one of these guys. He's very like Luther. He, brilliant student. Studies a bunch of different subjects. Like everything under the sun is just interesting to him. Um, he's so smart that. He's denied his master's degree, uh, the first time he goes for it because he's just too young. Like he satisfied all the re- requirements. Like he he knew all the stuff that he had to know. But they're just like, we just can't have someone as young as you running around with a master's degree. Like he was still a teenager. They're like, no, we can't. You can't do that. Um. So that was kind of fun. Um. And so he he started studying theology, and as he's studying theology for himself, he's actually coming to some similar convictions to Luther around the same time. And he starts telling people around him, hey, I'm reading this and I'm seeing this and this is kind of what I'm thinking. And he gets blacklisted. So what ends up happening is Luther invites him over, offers him a job to come and teach at Wittenberg. And that's kind of a, happens a lot. Luther actually surrounds Mm -hmm. himself with a lot of these like teachers. Um, The cool thing about Philip, uh, Melanchthon was that he was like a systematic theologian. So he laid a lot of the foundation for what would become Lutheran doctrine as we know it um, in some ways, even more than Luther uh, at least in, in the systematic way in, in, in like kind of this organized system, Luther was definitely kind of the, the force to be reckoned with. Um, but, but uh, Melanchthon would be kind of this one who would organize it. And he was said to be a really, really laid back and really gentle and in his communications with even with Roman Catholics who wanted him dead as well he was really easygoing and Luther wasn't uh Luther was not known for that Mm -hmm. so they kind of complimented him well um and he would write something called the Augsburg Confession which is kind of the the confession statement for the Lutheran Church um yeah and it's it's an interesting document in fact if you if you read it a lot of it we would probably agree with other than like baptism and a couple other minor things, but it's pretty, it's pretty generic Protestant doctrine. It doesn't really get into too much of the nitty gritty and essentially it became this kind of theological standard for unity amongst the Protestants in Germany. So they would just say, look, are you good with this? Right? Like, Mm -hmm. like for example, the Feb, we have a, we have a certain, there's like a, a, there's like a statement of faith that the fellowship has. Yep. And it's not hyper specific, right? Like you don't have to take a specific stance on very minute issues. It's mostly primary or secondary stuff. And so it kind of becomes that for uh unity. It's kinda of saying, Okay, are you at least good with the Augsburg? People say, Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay, we can be friends. Yeah. Um, and lots of groups do that.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. So I mean, this podcast is a part of the gospel coalition. Yep. Who has a statement of faith yep. that is broad enough that various groups of Protestants can affirm it. Yeah. Uh I've worked with for Ten years now, Global Education Ministries. Mm. We have a statement of faith And every school that signs on with us. The directors sign off on the statement of faith, which is broad enough to um, to cover first order doctrine. Mm, mm-hmm. Is is kind of what we're going for. The yeah. primary first order doctrine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I want to back up a little bit. Okay, on his being denied his master's degree. Okay, <laughs> because I get the the feeling. That you think it's absurd. I don't think... Well, I don't think it's absurd. I just think it's funny.
1: Like, he's just like... He's just like... This egghead kid. Like like it's Funny Doogie, because it's
0: absurd? Like
1: a Doogie Hauser. Like, you know what I mean? I didn't like, know you were old enough to know Doogie Hauser. Surprise, surprise. There you go. I've actually never seen it. I just know the reference because okay. old people s- talk about it all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Continue. It, it's not exactly uncommon. Mm. So, for instance... In order to enter into uh, a doctorate of ministry, you have to not only have completed a um, an MDiv, you have to have you have to be three years of practicing ministry removed from your graduation of MDiv. Oh, good. So graduate MDiv, mm-hmm. be in the real world for three years, and then you can sign up. Nice. And and the point, I, I understand that they don't equate perfectly. But the point of it is just to say there's more to life than the classroom. Oh, yeah. And there's something of life experience that allows these things to grow, right? Mm. And what you cook in the microwave isn't as good as what you cook in the crock pot. Mm. And uh, there's something of that. I don't know. I can see their point.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I understand that, too, especially if, like, that title of having a, a master's, uh, then, too, I think is probably likely a much more auspicious thing than it is today. Yeah. Today, you're like, oh, I got a master's. People are like, okay, cool.
0: It's like, whatever. Right. I, I, think, <laughs> I think to have a master's then would be, like, your second PhD now. Right.
1: Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so he uh he was just the softer more gentle more contemplative reformer compared to to kind of more the firebrandy luther um but they they were really close they were really close with one another and they um and and philip i mean did a significant amount of writing as well as luther and they kind of their group had this kind of machine of of Producing books and pamphlets and different things to kind of get the get the word out. Um, what did you have on on? Do you have anything on any of the other the buddies?
0: I I mean there are a couple of other guys mm-hmm. that get involved. Who's mm-hmm. uh, Jonas? Mm-hmm. Comes in as a translator. Yeah, he he's a friend. Part of his work is making sure that people can read Luther and Melanchthon and something other than German. Right. Right. Uh, So you have. Yeah. As far as like getting involved in. All of the people that surrounded him that he surrounds himself with people is significant. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because he's not just this one maverick guy who goes out, nails his ideas to a wall and walks off. And all of a sudden there's an entire system of global church named after him. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. This this goes to show the previous undercurrent that had taken place, that was setting the soil Mm. and the number of people around. Yeah, right. This was this is not an isolated one guy thing. Yeah, not not by long stretch. He just happens to be the face of it.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because when I was reading up on. And we won't go through like a long list of all the people who are involved, but one one guy was uh, Johann Bugenhagen, and he was actually Luther's pastor. So he becomes the pastor of the church in Wittenberg. Can you imagine? And he and and so Luther is submitting to him, and the, the Lutheran Church still kind of does a form of confession. They don't see it the same way as mm-hmm. um, as the Roman Catholic Church, but he was
0: uh, Luther's confessor. Can you so, imagine having? Him and your congregation. As a congregant? Oh, boy. Standing up on a Sunday morning to (laughs) preach, and you look, and there's Martin Luther. (laughs) I mean, okay. It would be different. Because at this point, he's a famous man, Mm -hmm. a studied theologian, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't have the historical legacy that he has now. Right, yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. Um, But sometimes I think about these things, like, can you imagine a... Being Barry Bonds hitting coach (laughs) right what do you do you just show up and go thumbs up (laughs) I get you something to drink Gatorade new pair of batting gloves what do you want seriously right uh (laughs) it would be an intimidating thing sure to be the person hired Mm -hmm. put over to -hmm. make sure that uh he was receiving sound doctrine Mm -hmm. on a Sunday morning yeah you wonder if Luther ever emailed him to be like hey Let's talk about that sermon. (laughs) I'm sure they had a
1: chat or two, if I know anything about Luther. But yeah, so he builds this team around him, right, of mutual support. They're cooperating on things. They're translating the Bible into German from Mm. the Hebrew and the Greek. Um,
0: I thought Luther's translation was from the Latin.
1: Well... I think he start he does one from
0: Latin in the fifteen twenty two. Yeah, the original is from the Latin.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then what he does is once he puts his team together, he gets he gets them to do it from the Hebrew and the Greek into German, and that's done in fifteen thirty four. Um, and
0: uh, and still can be used today.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. In fact, in fact, it's it's kind of one of these like important works in German that kind of helped like standardize the. The language and writing form, like it's like it's one of these works that's like heavily influential on the, the standardized form of German, right? Because
0: there are variations, High German,
1: Low German, all those kind of different yep. things. Um,
0: so it's 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 a deeply influential work. Um, Let's play a nerd out game with that, okay? Oh boy, because I think this is something that people might be interested in learning a little bit about. Okay. So, before the invention of the printing press, alphabetic languages just worked very phonetically yeah and you just do your best right like make the noise there's not a standard this is how it was spelled Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but then gutenberg comes along and you need a printing press which means we got to make a decision how are we going to spell this right right because we're going to reproduce this over and over and over again Mm -hmm. i've never read them but My understanding is that early documents to come off the printing presses would sometimes spell the same word different ways multiple times through the volume because that was just the practice Right. as things were solidifying. Mm. But works become special in every culture. So the Spanish, Don Quixote de la Mancha, Mm. is the work that is... Cited as being the major thing that helped freeze Spanish into its mm. spelling and grammatical forms. Right. right. Um, the Germans, you have the Bible, mm-hmm. which is a good one. superior to the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for English, the Augustan grammarians kind of grab hold of the Canterbury Tales yep. by yep. Chaucer. Yep. And that becomes... What starts solidifying English spelling? Mm-hmm. I think um,
1: Shakespeare played a role too, but he was a little bit later, though.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. So, uh, yeah, you're wondering why why we have spelling rules and where those things come from. Mm-hmm. It comes from just being like, "Hey, we got to make a decision <laughs> if we're going to put this thing out there." Right. <laughs> <Hey. laughs> What's the most popular author of our time? How does he do it? Mm-hmm. Do that. Yeah. Right.
1: So Luther, Luther, and and company would uh, do some update versions of of their um their bible translation over the years, but I guess within forty years of him doing the first translation, his publisher had printed over a hundred thousand copies, which in that day and age is a
0: is a lot that's a lot of work that's a lot of work <laughs> i mean they've got they've got printing presses mm-hmm. but a hundred thousand copies in today's printing is a lot
1: and then keep in mind you had to like set all the letters for every page right like you had to like there was a there was a lot that you had to do i mean once you had it done then you could kind of move a little bit quicker but mm-hmm. it's it was a much slower process than it is
0: today for sure i hate printers <laughs> yeah and sometimes i wonder if that was actually slower <laughs> than some of the connection issues and the low toner and all of those kinds of nonsense things we deal with today <laughs> Oh man, yeah, the the printer
1: it's it's a thing. It's just like a note it's a note there's the, the amount of memes out there about how bad printers are. And I definitely have a love-hate relationship with the printer here at the church. <laughs> 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 it's it true. Causes me to to think things that are unpastoral towards a printer. <laughs> Anyways, the I, uh <laughs>
0: Other note on the Bible translation issue. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, This is one of the issues that they're translating the Bible. It's one of the issues that the church has against Luther. Oh, for sure. So when we talk about things rising and falling, this is a principle version of that. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, the Bible cannot be translated into the common tongue, Mm -hmm. according to the church. That's Mm -hmm. their stance at the time. Yeah. Yeah. They've since backed down from it. Yep. But we saw previously there have been people martyred for it. And uh, this is part of their problem with Luther as well. Mm -hmm. He wants people to read the Bible. Yeah. What kind of church is that?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, over the years, well, okay. So Luther develops catechisms and kind of orders of worship. There's a whole kind of new system that he's developing, uh, as far as like what the service is supposed to look like and how you kind of teach people and how they're they're supposed to grow, and a lot of it to us, anyways, would still look very Roman Catholic.
0: Oh yeah, for right? sure.
1: Yeah, like there's there's still a lot of like the the candles and robes and that kind of
0: stuff is. Technically optional, but most people stuck with it right and so we have a couple of Lutheran churches here in town mm-hmm. one of them, I uh had a chance to sit down meet the pastor, cool, uh, his name's Matthew, nice. and we were we were having lunch and and I was just like, the Lutheran Church today is very diverse, yeah, as far as what they believe and how they practice mm-hmm. and I said, you know. Tell me tell me about you and your practice trying trying very politically <laughs> to be like which which kind are you? Without it saying which kind are you. <laughs> uh yeah and it's and, always fun. Yeah, I mean you're dancing around a thing, right? <laughs> yeah. He he practices Lutheranism as mm-hmm. we would have expected Lutheranism to be practiced when you read about it historically okay right his words to me were imagine a catholic service where someone preaches the gospel that's what we do (laughs) that's what it's like you know what
1: it's better than an updated service where the gospel isn't preached so i'll give him credit there um because that might be the other kind of lutheran church anyways um yeah, so there's all those those types of things. The the catechisms that I that I mentioned earlier. We well, our listeners should know by now what a catechism is, the question mm. and answer. Well, at least those who listened last year when we went through the new city catechism. Um, shout out to last year's, topic. shout out to us, <laughs> shout out to us. No, shout out to the people who put it together. Um, but uh, but I guess also us. Why not? Little pat on our own our own back. I'll maybe I'll pat your I'll give you a little pat on the back and then I'll withhold. Yeah, you would. <laughs> but anyway, so so he kind of establishes this new church order because uh because it's it's spreading. Like these these types of churches that are operating under this new kind of system of doctrine and way of doing things that's outside of the hierarchy of the Roman Catholic Church. There's they're springing up and They're kind of like, okay, so, like, how do we do things here? Like, what what gets changed and what doesn't, right? Yeah, so so we
0: have catechisms and liturgies. Mm -hmm. Catechisms, ask a question, give an answer. Short, to the point, meant to be memorized. Yep. Liturgies are readings for corporate worship.
1: Mm -hmm. It's like order of service plus. Yeah. Right? So, he it's something that yeah, you would still get in uh, Lutheran churches today, Anglican churches, even to a lesser degree in like the reformed churches, Christian reformed churches, you get some liturgy, mm-hmm. right? You get some certain readings, certain responses, certain prayers. Um we don't have as we don't have as much of that. We we in our context we have we have a a framework that we mm-hmm. operate under. Um but I, I don't know if I'd call it Liturgy might not be no a
0: the right word. No, it, that would fall short. Yeah, yeah. Because because it's it's not rigid to the point of if you don't follow it, you're in sin. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not the sort of hey, what do we want to do this week mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Yeah. 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 It's 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 a very structured kind of a uh, an order of service mm-hmm. with very specific readings, oftentimes pre written prayers. Yeah. yeah. Those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: all right. Well, later on in uh, in his life, his Martin's health began to decline and he it was a known thing that he just became increasingly angry. Uh, <laughs> he was already a bit of a spicy dude and it got worse. He he suffered from a number of issues. He he had a suffered from chronic vertigo and tinnitus, so like that really bad ring in your ears and the balance issues. Um they figure it might have been something called Meniere's disease, which is essentially that, that whole thing. You like, there's an issue with your ears and it can be extremely disorienting, make you feel really, really sick. Um, it can really lay you out for a while. It's not, not a fun thing to have to deal with. Um, and then kidney stones, which are not fun. Um, chest pain, just a whole host of, he had a issue with his eyesight. Just, he kind of, the years were hard on you in this era of history. Like, they, you know, without the, the modern medicine, and I imagine too, um, you know, with things like his kidney stones and his chest pain, I, I imagine his, his personality and work ethic didn't help uh, if I were to go out on a limb and guess that. Um, and here's the thing about Luther that we have to talk about. We have to talk about with with all of these these characters who, you know, for some of the things that they did and said, you know, we kind of prop them up as important figures or maybe even heroes or whatever but but these guys are not perfect and and Martin Luther was far from perfect and we've already referenced his anger um, on multiple occasions but the the extent to which that was evidenced in anti-semitism is surprising and and Luther's anti-Semitism actually, although it was a common thing in medieval Europe, yeah, it was, it was worse than most. Like right. even his contemporaries were like, "Wow, this dude is really not a right. fan of the Jews."
0: Yeah, right. I uh, mostly just started off stating it on their failure to convert and mm-hmm. to recognize Christ. Right. Ended up in writings. That he publishes anti-Semitic writings. Oh yeah. That he publishes against them um, so badly that I- there comes a time where those writings stop getting published; they stop circulating. Mm. Uh, Luther is a German hero, not just a church hero. Right. So Luther is a a German hero historically, and and has been seen as one since. The end of his life or before, right? Yeah. Um, so much so that in the 20th century, there's a political party that rises between the First and Second World Wars. Yep. Uh, the Nazi Party. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that they try to press the anti Semitic view of Nazism to the german people as something that is historically founded and good and german to the core is to recirculate luther's work yeah and to say your beloved martin luther was anti-semitic and that we are is just us being german
1: right yeah yeah because it's part of that nationalistic identity right like the Nazis were nationalist, socialist, right? So that nationalist aspect of who they were is like this is this is the roots of who we are, who we are as Germans. This going back to, you know, this this old school identity, and yeah, and, and Martin Luther was was overtly anti-Semitic. Um, what's interesting, what I read is that he probably didn't actually personally know very many Jews at all because they had been expelled from the region in which he lived long before he was even born. Interesting. So he probably wasn't even, like, railing at people on the street because there were literally—in, like, the county or the the duchy that he lived in, there weren't any Jews. They'd all been kicked out long before. But they, were, they still lived in certain other parts of Germany. And so he would write to leaders telling them, like, demanding that they they kick out the Jews because they're going to corrupt the church and they're going to do all these terrible things and, and on and on and on it went. But
0: yeah, so it could be that he's more conceptually opposed— yeah, to the Jews than actual confrontationally opposed. I yeah. don't know,
1: but in any case, some of his writings yeah call for like call for violence even against them. So it's it's it it gets that bad. Um, anyway, so that that's that's kind of the the dark the underbelly of of who Luther is. He ends up dying. He um, he dies February eighteenth, fifteen forty six, with. Actually, friends present, um, and then his his body is buried. And they bury it in front of the pulpit at the Wittenberg Church, and um, and even later on, when there is conflict in Wittenberg, and the Catholic um, the the Catholic Emperor Charles V, his forces invade. Um, the his his soldiers are told explicitly not to disturb the body. Um, that he's, he's left there to be left there, buried there, unmolested, even by his enemies, which I find interesting. Mm -hmm. And as far as I know, I think he's still there, um, which is kind of an interesting, or his body is anyways. Um, Luther leaves a legacy though, and we've talked a bit about it. Um, but I think we can take some, some time to talk about some of the theological legacies that he left. Yeah. Again, a lot of this had to do with just the amount of writing he did and the amount it was circulated. During his lifetime, it's estimated that one-fifth of all the works that were printed in the German language were his.
0: Right. That's a lot. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah. And and interestingly enough, when we think about Luther the Reformer, it, he's not—he is— He's not the most radical of reformers. No. In fact, he might be the least radical of reformers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Luther's theological legacy is just basically, I've got a couple of problems with the way you're doing things, but he's happy to leave a lot of it untouched. Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe he had 95 specific problems. <laughs> and maybe, maybe those are pretty deep-rooted right he he's not dealing with symptoms he's dealing with root cause right in a lot of these um but there's a lot that goes sort of unchanged and and so i think as we move through the various reformers mm. you'll find there's there's this youtube channel called lutheran satire mm. where a lutheran priest does these little cartoons and he he does one about the reformation and martin is posting his little thing on the wall and and other reformers are coming along being like, Oh, you're puny little reformation, right? Like <laughs> you're barely uh, changing anything. Right? right, right, right. Just sort of mocking him for that. But the changes that he makes stick and really become talking points for future reformers. Mm-hmm. And and that's where I think that's where I think his legacy is. He's not trying to rewrite everything. Like when we talk about reforming, he literally wants to reform the church, mm-hmm. not restart the church.
1: Right. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, no, you and and so that's yeah. I think there are he kind of sets the stage for people to take further steps down that path, but he himself kind of takes a step out of the Catholic church and and kind of that's as far as mm-hmm. as he chooses to go. And
0: and and possibly only because they wouldn't have him Mm. I I think if they would have not excommunicated him, he would still have worked for reform within the church. Mm. There's potential. Right. 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 No, I think I... uh, Because that was the goal from the beginning.
1: Right. Was reform. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was to remodel, not to rebuild. Right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, there... Yeah, there, no, you're you're absolutely right. I think that the the main one of the big differences. I mean, if we consider the the five solos of the Reformation, this idea of things like sola scriptura, like we're gonna base what we do.
0: We we gotta do more. We gotta define them all. All five. Sola okay. scriptura I mean, is Latin. Yeah. Four.
1: Uh, scripture alone.
0: Scripture alone. Yeah. Right. And it is attack against the authority of the church. Right. Yeah. Right. If it's not in scripture. Then can we claim it authoritatively, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This is this is evidenced in the Diet of Worms mm-hmm. when he says, "I'm happy to recant anything that you can prove to me from Scripture." Right. That is him practicing sola scriptura, mm-hmm. right? It is a tradition that is very strong in my own faith, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, sola scriptura. Because mm-hmm. uh, I started in the middle, that's the problem. Sorry. Sola, f- sola fide. Sola fide.
1: So faith alone. Right. So we're justified by faith alone, not through obedience to the law or right? works. Right. We're not justified that way. Um, it's not faith gets us in and then works keeps us. No, it's faith alone. Sola gratia, which is grace alone. Mm-hmm. So we are saved by God's grace alone. Um, again, that it's it's not earned grace, but it's freely given. Uh, solus Christus. Christ alone. Mm-hmm. and so we're saved by faith in in christ alone our our righteousness comes from christ's righteousness alone and soli deo gloria for um the glory of god alone right yeah
0: right and so these are the these are the five solas which really become the pillars that hold up the roof of the reformation mm-hmm. and there are There are a number of things that come into it, right? We have to talk about his views on communion. Sure, yeah. But his views on communion are based from the solas. Yeah. Right? At this point, the Catholic Church was holding a communion in such a way that the priest would stand up. He would say, this is my body. (laughs) He would break, and after he would say, this is my body, oddly enough, they'd ring a bell. Okay. I— cool part of the ceremony sure uh, break it and be like you're not going to believe this but this is now the actual body of christ mm. and this cup's the actual blood mm. and so given to it that they come to a point where they're like you know what people are are sneaking this out of the church like pretending to eat it and sneaking it out planting it in their gardens because it's the body of christ and it's going to cause a greater crop like th- all these superstitions that come around and the church finds out about it, they're like you know what we got to do we've got to stop giving communion to anyone who's not a priest Mm. because what if they're not worthy of it Right. because it's so precious as the body of Christ right and so they they see this as a distribution of grace they're distributing and themselves saying re-sacrificing in the face of Hebrews as the benefit of Christ is that he's a once-and-for-all sacrifice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't need to be re-sacrificed. Yep. Uh, they are doing these things and, and telling people the authority of the Church and our power to do these things is why we exist, and and the five solas all stand
1: mm.
0: inside of his attack on communion. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's why you can look at a long list of things that he has problem with. Some of these are symptoms, but the solas really get at the root of those things.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, and and Luther's where Luther lands on um, matter of communion and, and the body and blood of Christ is going to be different than where other reformers get to. And mm-hmm. it's gonna be a matter of debate that they're gonna actually, you know, they're gonna argue they're gonna get together and they're gonna argue about it and they're not going to see that eye and yeah we'll talk that. more about that with Zwingli yeah yeah we'll talk so we'll more about that we'll save that conversation there but just to know that like there are, there are certain aspects of 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 theology that you know that that not all the reformers are going to are going to be on the same page about right and it's generally going to be more secondary and tertiary things generally for the most part they're going to have these primary issues that are kind of defined by these five solas like laid out Um, Luther does another thing just kind of in this whole idea of like we're saved by faith alone or by grace alone through faith alone this distinction of law and gospel this kind of that scripture is viewed through the you know this lens of like commands and promises right the law and the gospel the the law what's the purpose of the law it's meant to you know uh, reveal our own sin to us reveal our own wickedness so that we would pursue Christ right Right. So that we would be saved by the gospel, Um, not as a standard by which we need to earn the favor of God. Mm -hmm. Right. So these kind of distinctions that like a lot of people, especially if you spend any time in an evangelical church, like you get that. You've heard
0: that. That's Um, that's the only teaching you've grown up with. Yeah.
1: But again, like we have it's 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 guys like Martin Luther who lay that out, who point point that out. I mean it's in scripture itself, but like mm-hmm. but but who actually lay this out and and kind of set that precedent so that now, yeah, you grow up in the church and you hear that, but this was
0: revolutionary. You know what? I, I've never really made this connection before. But this kind of reminds me what's going on in the Protestant Reformation. Mm. Reminds me of an old testament story. Of a boy king who finds or it has found for him. The law, mm-hmm. yeah, and he's like, "Wait a minute! No one's read this in a couple of generations." Yeah, what's going on? Why are we doing what we're doing, and why are we not doing this? Right. There's a lot of that in this. Yeah, yeah, right. For sure. That it has been buried. the The actual word of God has been buried in a way that people just don't have access to it, mm. and now it's been revealed. And people are starting to ask that question. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And people are going to start like running with this. Right. He I mean, he gets into this whole idea of like the two kingdoms, um, kind of this distinction between um, like the kingdom of Christ and kind of the the earthly authorities and that, the, you know, there, there are kind of distinct roles and responsibilities that shouldn't necessarily be confused. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they are. As we mentioned, throughout the Middle Ages, they they certainly had been, right? Popes acting as kings, right? carrying out the responsibilities that properly belonged to the secular authorities and and vice versa. So he kind of lays that out. A
0: separation of church and state.
1: Again... Not to the same degree that we as Baptists would hold to, right? Because the Lutheran Church becomes the state church, still is of yeah. some of these places, and in Scandinavia, I mean, they they love it in Scandinavia. I think it still is, yeah. In some, in like Finland or Sweden or Norway or something like that, still the state the state church or Denmark maybe. Um, but yeah, so again, it, but it's there's at least kind of a, a degree of distinction here of roles mm-hmm. and responsibilities that that mm-hmm. he's going to kind of start unpacking. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a lot where we might say, well, maybe Luther didn't go far enough, um, but that's, you know, that's only because he's not the last one. <laughs>
0: right. But before we go, we have to talk about the bondage of the will. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. And yes. Erasmus.
1: Yeah, we have to
0: talk about that. This is the thing that you need to know about his conversations with Erasmus. There's a good chance you're going to find them very entertaining. I, even if you're like, well, I'm not really a theologian, let alone a historical theologian. Mm. The conversations back and forth are pretty entertaining. Right. For our American listeners, when our politicians debate, it is expected that the room would remain quiet while each person presents their side. That doesn't happen here in Canada.
1: No, not in the House of Commons. In the no, House no, no. of
0: Commons. No, you're, there's heckling. Yeah. It's not as bad as it is in the UK. <laughs> But for people to heckle, call names, shout out accusations while someone's trying to give their speech Mm -hmm. is expected. Yeah. Like we are going to drown them out (laughs) with all of our heckling and everything. Yeah. (laughs) I don't get it. Maybe I'm just too American for it. But anyway, it's a thing. It's a thing here, too. Mm. The calling of names. Yeah. Between Martin Luther and Erasmus. Yeah. And let me tell you something. Luther's good at it. Oh, yeah. If if you can be good at such a bad thing, <laughs> Luther's good at it. Yeah. In fact, there are multiple Twitter accounts mm. that are just daily and sometimes multiple times a day posting different things, different insults <laughs> that Luther throws out against Erasmus and others. Yeah. yeah. Erasmus and co. <laughs> um, And they're brutal. Yeah. 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 But this But that's not all of the bondage.
1: No, there. no. So the the idea is it, it kinda comes down to how how is it like how how are human beings able to be reconciled to God? How is it that we can come to know God and we can come to please God? Um and so Erasmus is a Catholic theologian, although he really uh, Erasmus is one of these guys that, although he wasn't part of the Reformation, and although he ends up arguing with reformers a lot, yep. it's he influenced a lot of them because mm-hmm. he did a lot of work in, in like the Greek and Hebrew. He really knew the Scriptures well, and so he had a, a significant influence on a lot of the guys who would cross party lines into that into the Reformation. Um, but so th- the distinction comes down to: Are we capable of our own free will of ple- choosing and pleasing God? independent from God doing anything in the Roman Catholic doctrine. And what Erasmus kind of held to was essentially, yeah, you can
0: plagianism.
1: Yeah. Like y- you can.
0: Um, and if you're just now jumping on, cause we have made a bit of a push. That's true. Now that we're in the reformation, if you're just now jumping onto the podcast, Pelagius was a church father mm-hmm. who argued that it is possible for the human being to, live a perfect life it's just unlikely to the point that only Jesus has right and uh that's why we need the cross in Christ mm-hmm. but yet it is still possible uh it, which only notes act of sin it doesn't note sins of omission right. it doesn't note just falling short of perfect mm-hmm. um it only notes those things that we would look and say, oh, I shouldn't have done that
1: yeah, so it's a small view of sin and
0: sure. so The conversations between Luther and Erasmus not mirror, but are akin to Augustine and Pelagius.
1: Yeah, yeah, because what Luther is going to argue, although there's a difference between Lutheranism and Calvinism, which we'll get to uh, soon, um, Luther is going to argue that, no, because of the fall, the human will, it has been corrupted— and is enslaved to sin, and so that bondage of the will to sin needs to be broken, that's broken by God, and only then can we respond to the gospel, only then can we, um, can we truly obey with any kind of spiritual, positive spiritual impact, Um, and so that's what, what he is going to argue for, Um, it's, it's a monergism versus synergism does god save you or is it like you and god together you work this thing out right and so luther would have that monergistic view of you know god has to save you right Mm -hmm. in in order for you to have genuine spiritual life right um so that's that's kind of the that's the um that's the the debate there and calvin's going to take it a step or two or three further than that but again we'll get to that when we
0: get to that All right. Well, we'll get to that later. (laughs) Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. See you next time. Bye.